All right. Good evening, everybody. You've got Bob Roberts here. And uh, I've got a very special guest here in our virtual green room all the way in California. I'll be introducing in just a second. Uh, I wanted, for those that uh, are brand new to watching us here on YouTube, uh, my name is Bob Roberts, I'm the Director of Aerospace Education uh, for Group 3 and the Aerospace Education Officer here in Greenville, South Carolina. We welcome you to our virtual uh, lesson tonight. And um, with that, I wanted to, uh, we'll do a quick introduction before I show them on screen. And tonight we have the honor of bringing on Scott Manley, uh, astrophysicist. And I have to tell you, I had to look up how to spell astrophysicist um, about three minutes before the show went live. I was, got nervous. I had to type in astrophysicist, make sure I spelled that right. Uh, he's also a software engineer, and uh, some people will say a space YouTuber. I will say space uh, YouTube educator. Um, I think Scott goes a long way towards uh, doing tons of great work with educating uh, when it comes to space with our community. Uh, and with that, I am going to bring him on, and I am going to unmute you. Let's see. There you go. And there he is. Hey, Scott. Hello. <laughs> okay, first question I have for you, and it wasn't on our list, but I have to ask it. Why is it when it doesn't matter if it's you or if it's somebody, I've been watching lots of Microsoft Flight Simulator videos lately, right, with that coming out. Why is it that anybody with a British, a Scottish, or an Australian accent, I can't turn off, I just can't turn it off? It's the novelty, I guess, right? Uh, the, you know, you guys, you've got your American accents. Uh, I, I, I guess it's where the tongue comes from. Well, except for Australia. But yeah, I, it's the novelty. <laughs> it's a novelty. Well, it's a novelty that for some reason hasn't worn off yet. I hear the voice and I'm like, oh, I got to listen. Um, hey, listen. So, you know, one of the things I was surprised, right? So when I try to talk to folks, I try to do a little FBI investigation. We have to make sure that you paid your taxes. So yes. uh, we're happy to say that the I IRS. Plenty of taxes. <laughs> that's right. Um, <laughs> we're happy to say the IRS didn't have any liens uh, against your house. So that, that's a good thing. So I, I learned a couple things that I, I thought was actually really interesting. So uh, a lot of people, you know, they see YouTube, they see the social media aspect of it. And they think that, you know, this is a person, now you may be living in your basement under your mom's house, I don't know, but um, they, they see, you know, folks that are on YouTube, um, you know, and they think they kind of walked into that. And it's really not your case. I was really surprised. So you actually have some real bona fide credentials behind you. And um, so you've got a bachelor's from the University of Glasgow. Am I saying that right? Yep, University of Glasgow. And you have a master's as well. Why don't you tell our, our group here, what was your bachelor's and your uh, master's in? So bachelor's is physics and astronomy. And then at that point, I was terrified to leave academia. And I had this chance to do something called computational physics, Ooh. which is basically how you do physic, model physical processes in a computer. And that was you know what I spent time on. And I was still terrified of leaving academia. So I tried to do a PhD and then... After five years, I finally realized that I was never going to submit my thesis. But other opportunities arose at that point. Now, since you started, okay, so you went to college for this stuff. So um, what, what was it? Now, a lot of our members here in Civil Air Patrol, um, you know, a lot of them are cadets. So between the ages of 14 and going up through college. And so, you know, they're in Civil Air Patrol for lots of different reasons. Um, some of them like the military aspect with the Air Force. Other, want, other folks, uh, you know, are more into the aerospace. They want pilots, things of that nature. And so when you were younger, you know, when, when there was little Scott, and little Scott is growing up, and, you know, and, and what got little Scott interested into this field? I mean, I mean, honestly, and this is the worst answer ever, is like I get taken to see Star Wars when I was four years old and suddenly everything space was amazing. Nice. But my dad was all an engineer and he was very interested in space. We'd spend a lot of time looking at the stars. You know, I, I, I was five years old. I wanted to be Luke Skywalker. And as I got <laughs> a little older, I realized, well, you know, that's, that's just a story, but maybe I could be an astronaut. Yeah. And then as I got a little older, I realized that Scotland didn't really have a space program. <laughs> But I could do astronomy, and so that's kind of where I ended up. Uh, but I've always been fascinated for as long as I can remember. Mm -hmm. 
So, so now when you were a little kid and you were trying to be Luke Skywalker, did you have any epic major like lightsaber battles? You knocked oh, I over have mad lightsaber skills. Oh, yeah. I, I also have like Luke Skywalker's flight suit behind me here. I, I'm not going to wear it, but it's because it's really hot. But yeah. you might have seen some pictures of the on the internet of both of those things. Have, have you tried that new VR thing where they have the beat saber where you can get the lightsaber? Oh, yeah, and... yeah. I get mad beat saber skills, yes. <laughs> that thing is awesome. Um, so, so the other thing when I was doing my FBI background check on you um, that came up is that you actually got a comet named after you. Uh, an asteroid. An asteroid. An asteroid. So you had an asteroid named after you by the International Astronomical Union, uh, the IAU. Yeah. And uh, so I, I guess when I saw that, the question I have is, what are the chances that we're going to be able to mine rocket fuel from your asteroid to help us get to Mars? Hmm. Well, probably not help, probably not <laughs> worth it because it's between Mars and Jupiter, so you'd have to go way oh, out. Right. It's in the middle of the main belt. It's a long way from, from anywhere. But you never know. Maybe someday we might get to visit it. There's... Uh, 800,000 asteroids that we now know of. And this is, mine is number 33434. So it's, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's a lot of other asteroids that we'll get to first. Well, so for those of you that ever get an asteroid named after you, you too had better remember what number you are. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I guess what will happen then is if we plan on going to, so if we're going to protest, right? And we're going to go out to Pluto to protest the reentry of Pluto as a planet. Maybe we can stop off at your asteroid and get fuel from there. Then. Yeah, or, or Jupiter or Saturn. Or there's plenty. Right. I mean, you know, Pluto is a, a big rock in space. You can uh, mine <laughs> fuel from it even. Well, hopefully, we, if we're going to get there, we've got to get back. So, um, you know, so I, again, I was taking a look and, you know, uh, you have a lot of people. So you've been doing this for a long time, right? So I have a feeling that especially some of my senior members, um, you know, they hear a YouTuber and they think some 19 year old who gets really popular really quickly, but it's a lot of work and yeah, it's a lot of work and you've been doing it for a long time. <laughs> it's just a hobby. And you know what? The, the audience keeps growing and I keep having stories to tell. Mm -hmm. And that's the, the best part though is, you know, you'll find people that went on and we're partly inspired because, of course, I'm not the only thing inspiring many people, but they go on and they do great things. And we just had a, a story today about uh, an engineer who just started at NASA and, you know, he, he started out playing Kerbal Space Program and learning from me, you know, eight years ago. Just, just you know, crazy. He was in high school and, and he's now you know, building spaceships. Oh, that's crazy. So, so he kind of he kind of saw what you were doing, you know, in, uh, in, the, in the virtual world on with Kerbal. And we're going to talk about Kerbal in a second because I think you have some apologizing to do for all the people in Kerbal that you've, you've probably murdered over the years. So, so, um, so if you have, yeah, so we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But um, uh, yeah, so a lot of, so right now you actually work, and I don't know if a lot of people know this about you, but you actually now work at Apple as a software engineer, yeah. right? I've been a software engineer ever since uh, I you know, failed out of my PhD. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I was always a computer nerd. And the funny thing about how I became a computer nerd is I wanted to be Luke Skywalker. <laughs> and back then, if you wanted to fly spaceships, you needed computers and video games. Yep. And so I learned, I got these computers, and of course I started learning about them, hacking on them, learning to yep. program software. I never had any formal education until, like, way late in university, but... Yeah, I, I do that as a day job, and it's a, a great career. Right? There's a lot to learn, and it's amazing to think that there's like a billion people out there with machines running my code. Oh, it it's is nuts. Just, yeah. It is yeah. Nuts. So anybody who has a problem with their Apple iPhone, um, we now know how to get a hold of Scott. We don't have to call the Genius Bar. We don't, we're just going to call Scott directly. So that, that's what I'm hearing from this conversation. So... Um, so, so I saw somewhere that somebody called you, uh, I'm going to butcher this, an Astrana Gamer. Is yeah. I saying that word right? Astrana Gamer? You know what? I don't know how you say that word right. It's, it's entirely made up. <laughs> I, 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 want, I thought Astro Gamer might be good, but then I realized that that was the name of a company that made headsets. So oh. we just, I think we threw that together because it sounded cool and then regretted it ever since. <laughs> 
Well, it, it is now like anything on the internet that you say that you regret, it's there forever. <laughs> so, yes. Oh, there's so, many things I regret. Don't worry. <laughs> it can never go away. I, I can tell you, you know, you, you've, you've got, and I forgot what the number of um, videos are now, but you had just a crazy number of videos, you're, you're, you know. So, so we are now, we, we started doing this uh, when COVID hit. Uh, prior to COVID, we were all hands-on, you know, with the, with the kids and the senior members. Um, and this kind of, in, a lot of folks went to Microsoft Teams or Zoom. And I said, ah, forget that. Let's go to YouTube. <laughs> um, and this way other people can take uh, advan advantage of it. And the one thing I didn't realize is how much there is to learn <laughs> when you get into this thing. Yeah, so, I mean, it's not a simple thing. And there's a lot of different software um, yeah. that you can use. So funnily, uh, yeah, interesting story, I guess, yeah. is like how I started in this. Is that back when I was doing my astronomy work, I still was at the observatory one night and I was sort of bored and playing, trying to play tunes over the internet, but we, yeah. there wasn't actually streaming radio software that I could buy or use, so I wrote my own. And that's where I started playing music and streaming to my friends back in like 1997. Mm -hmm. And that's of course how a company in Silicon Valley found me and said, please come out. We need, we're running a streaming media service and we need somebody that's done this. And so and I'm um, going to guess that know, was I, Napster. And that was actually pre-Napster. It was pre-Napster. Uh, yeah, I, I, I knew the Napster guys very early on and then I ended up being one of the last engineers they hired. Wow, that's awesome. Now, Napster, I think, is actually making a comeback. I think I saw them somewhere in the news where they're trying to do something. I don't know. Like the brand still has some sort of cachet to it, and it's yeah. fascinating that the brand has continued. But I was original era back when it was file sharing, and I, I worked on their security and things like that. But mm -hmm. uh, the funny thing is, Napster has been very good to me, even though I was only there from like hiring until they went out of business was like less than six months. So it was your fault. But yes, I, I, <laughs> that's it. Totally my fault. But yeah, the people I met there have helped me get all the jobs ever since then. It's, it's really kind of fascinating that the people you know is very important. Uh, when, it's, it's great that you can study and learn things, but knowing people also helps a lot. Yeah, it's so important no matter what field you're in. You know, the, the aviation and the space um, industry, it is so much about networking. It's about being part of that social group, you know, where you can reach out and you can say hi to people and they get to know you. And um, that is so crucial. Um, you know, we had a yeah. question. I've, I've got a question from uh, one of our cadets. Um, you know, they were mentioning that, you know, your videos are very, very detailed. Um, so how do you do your research for your videos? So I, I sort of start with a basic story, like a basic idea of what I want to tell, but then I'll find that to tell that story, I need to know this, that, and the next thing. But perhaps to get from A to B, mm -hmm. you then need to know something deeper. And so I'll keep going down and down and down until I can answer all the questions that I think the audience might ask. And I may not include it in the video, mm -hmm. but I'll definitely try to make sure that I know it's there. And frequently that then turns into a whole side video because by the way, there's an interesting discussion about control moment gyros and you know adding vector or you know adding momentum vectors or whatever. There's there's all these different stories that naturally come out that sometimes you have to spend a lot of time getting there. And I don't like to have answers just hanging. Yeah. But uh, the thing that really made this happen was in the early days of Kerbal, when I was playing it, uh, I was talking about rockets and I was not always right and when you make a mistake on youtube people tell you so <laughs> yes, i very do. much got you know scared into not making mistakes and therefore doing my research and i'm still not perfect like mm. yesterday i literally got port and starboard confused i mean oh. <laughs> yeah yeah the uh yeah you know a lot of uh, pilots they still get that confused and i always try you know i always try to remind them i like think of a, a you know um a big boat you know back in the big sail boat days and the port the doors were always to the left so you you know you always pulled your boat up so that you attached to the port on the left side uh and then yeah. you would look then while you're doing whatever they're doing you would glance off to the stars you know to the right yes. so um, yeah, that's one of those little, that's one of those little things that, uh, when, especially when you see some younger pilots and they start learning how to fly, 
and you're like, look out port, look port, look port. And you see their head going left and right, left and right. They have no idea what port, which side port is, or their brain just turned off, but they, they forgot what side port is. Yeah, so that's, now how long, um, there's another question we got. So how long um, does it take you on average? Now this is, I'm sure this varies greatly, but when oh, yeah. you're doing all that research, you know, I know like when I do just a simple lesson, it takes me about eight hours to do a 15 minute little lesson you know, that I put up, I got to, your, your videos are much more detailed. So how much time does it take you to put a video? It can vary. I mean, so, so some of the videos I will do, like ju we've just had a rocket crash or explode. And right. you know, at that point I'm ready to go really fast because I've got a lot of stuff in my head. But when I'm teaching, say something like, you know, what happened to Chernobyl yeah. that took, you know, 20, 30 hours of research over several weeks to make sure that I answered all the questions that I, again, that I wanted to know the answer to everything, even if it wasn't in the video in the end. Because the important thing is to be able to have people start at some basic level of understanding and be able to follow each of your steps and not get lost on the way to the final uh, moment. But awesome. yeah, um, usually it takes me it can take anything from a few hours to like 40 plus hours. I'm recording the video. Generally, that's mostly ad-libbed. So mm -hmm. I'll have a thing of bullet points that tells me this is the things you want to talk about. And I'll, you'll see me looking off to the side. And then I'll just be making the words up as I go along. Mm -hmm. um, and mostly sort of freestyling it. And I think that probably means that things are a lot faster for me. But also my production values are not what I would consider particularly high. I'm sort of looking for photos or stock footage. Mm -hmm. If I have to do graphics, I'm bringing up like Microsoft Paint. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's just enough to tell the story, but I, I don't really have the attention span to build really high quality CGI. models. And, yeah, so you're, yeah. Not, you're, not, you're not doing Blender in the background trying to make up <laughs> your own things. No, I, my son knows more about Blender than I do. Yep. And he's probably wants one of those 3080s that none of us can get to then. So, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, so uh, let's see here. I think I had another question. So somebody, okay. So I, I think some folks, they're not really sure what Kerbal is. And so I, I have, I have killed my fair share of Kerbal folks myself, but uh, so for the folks that aren't aware, so can you explain what Kerbal space program is? Yeah, it was this sandbox video game that came out in June of 2011. And the basic idea is you take pieces of rockets and bolt them together. And then when you fly them, all the laws of physics are applied correctly. So if you don't have your center of mass and your center of thrust aligned, you will have the thing spinning out of control. And you can actually build aircraft in it. It's not great, but it's really quite fascinating to learn how to build an aircraft and put the control surfaces in the correct places. And then you know, you'll realize oh, if I put the center of mass too far back, it's very easy to take off the, on the runway, but then I immediately backflip and crash. So <laughs> right. it's, it's this physics sandbox where you can build machines and fly them, you can explore planets, but mm -hmm. just the fact that it's quite forgiving. Um, when things go wrong, they're not really judging you that you've just killed <laughs> on, on board. I, I think one of the best one of the best decisions the Kerbal makers ever had was when you have astronauts inside, you have their sort of little green men yeah. portraits in the bottom left corner or right corner of the screen. And when things are going wrong, you'll see them screaming or, or <laughs> laughing or smiling. Or, yeah. it's, it really sort of uh, made it a little more comical and therefore made it much more fun to learn. And so millions of people have bought this and many of them have gone into actual engineering and aerospace. And, also, it can claim people like uh, you know Elon Musk and Tori Bruno and stuff as fans of the game as well. So it's, uh, <laughs> it certainly has has a certain. It's been an amazing learning tool, and the best thing as a learning tool is it never set out to be an educational thing. It just right. accidentally became an educational thing. And those are the best things ever, right? So yeah, because people play them for fun. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was watching um, a video today that Carl, this is an old video, right? Carl Sagan, unfortunately, is no longer with us. But I was watching an old interview today that came up on Reddit uh, for some reason. And it was Carl Sagan, and he was talking about uh, education for science and engineering and technology and how when he was always struck 
by when he would go into an elementary school and all the kids had incredible questions. Why is grass green? I mean, that is like, you know, as an adult, you're like, wow, you know, blah, blah, blah. But as a kid, what a great question, right? Why is the grass green? Why is the sky blue? Now, I used to live in Rochester, New York. The sky was never blue. It was always gray. But <laughs> it's you're, green here right now because of fires. I was going to say, yeah, you have red. You have the dune, uh, the dunescape outside. We're, your house, yeah, right? Yes. Well, we're not that bad right now, but we were for sure. Oh, that's, that's, that's crazy. But, you know, these incredible questions, right? What, you know, so how did we get here, right? Um, type questions. And then when they got to high school, right, and all the kids were like, you know, listening to your teacher, blah, 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 blah. It's like, what happened? How did we lose that in entire enthusiasm, right? So I think Walt Disney, when he built uh, Epcot, he said what was important was that he wanted, uh, was it called the edutainment, I think he called it. So yeah. he, he wants you to be entertained, but he wants you to learn something while you're doing it. And, um, you know, I think that that's a real challenge. You know, we really want, and I think Kerbal does a great job with that too. Um, and, and also I want to say that, you know, I think, uh, you and other members like you, uh, do an unbelievable, not the Brown knows you, but to do an incredible, you guys do an incredible job like that too, because, um, you know, in, in our group for aerospace education, I try telling, we just had a national conference and I presented the national conference and, you know, I try telling everybody, listen, your job isn't to just teach aerospace and flying to our cadets it's to go out and help teach it to the entire society right um and then when you, i see folks like yourself um you know whether you meant to do it or not you are an aerospace educator um i feel like we should send you one of these shirts <laughs> um <laughs> you know because uh, you are touching so many people and people are listening you, you are giving them incredible details. Matter of fact, I had, um, we have in our group, we have a, like textbooks and we have to teach certain things. Mm -hmm. And one of the textbooks we just did was on uh, living and working in space. And so I did a lot with Mir and, um, you know, and, and the International Space Station. And, uh, you know, in, 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 in over in Europe, they, they want to think Skylab or Space Lab. They want to think Space Lab is a space station. That, that, that's not a space station. It's, like, it's like putting a camper that I'm towing on the back of my car and calling it a, you know, a, a, a vehicle. But anyways, um, and, you know, but I had that. But then you came out with, I think, today or a couple of days ago. You, but in part, actually, let me go back. So in part of that video, I talked about, you know, why the International Space Station is so relatively low. Because the space station, because the, sh the shuttle can't get high enough um, to put those components up higher. And the space station wasn't built it's not like the USS Enterprise. It can't just, you know, hit the thrusters and, and get higher. It, it uses, you know, leftover fuel from other spacecraft, um, you know, for the most part that are, you know, that help boost it, um, as well as some boost programs it can do itself. But, um, but it can't really, it's not designed to go into higher atmosphere. Um, so, but then you came out, and I, I touched on that really shortly. But you came out with such an in-depth, I think it was literally a couple days ago, or, you know, today or yesterday. It was yesterday. Yesterday. You came out with yeah. an incredible video just talking about, well, one, the ISS is a spacecraft, and, you know, completely agree. And then number two, um, you know, why we don't have the space shuttle going to the moon, um, you know. So, well, that, yeah, that was a few weeks ago why the space shuttle, you know, what you needed to do to take the space shuttle to the moon, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but the detail you got into that was really fantastic. So, so you, but you do it in such a way that, you know, you, you don't have people drooling off the side <laughs> of their desk. You know, so you found that balance, um, which is, which is, really I, I don't great. know. I just, you know, do what I, I think, uh, I, what I would want to know. That's the thing. I don't know what I do that's special if, if at all, but I think there's many of the stories are so good and so worth telling that they deserve to be told properly. And, and when you try to do that, you naturally end up with a compelling tale. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. So I got a couple of questions now. All right. So um let's see here we'll come back to some of the youtube stuff if we have time but i have some bigger questions so i want to see a blue origin rocket actually launch once so, well, so we have <laughs> new shepherd it goes to space oh yeah it goes to space all right <laughs> it goes to 100 kilometers it just crosses the carmen line yeah right <laughs> so so do you think that we're gonna see a blue origin rocket 
go into orbit orbit by 2030 i'm pretty sure we will see oh yeah by 2030 yeah i mean let's hope they they want it to be flying for 2020 i mean they want it to be flying 2022 i believe but yeah. they claim that they'll be ready to support an, uh, an artemis moon landing in 2024 uh, and so here's the thing ula are launching on blue origin engines next year so Oh, One really? I didn't know that. Challenge? Yeah, the Vulcan uses Blue Origin BE-4 engines for its first stage. Oh, I didn't know that. So ULA is actually moving over their engines over to Blue Origin. Yeah, they're moving away from the RD-180, which is Russian, and they're yeah. moving RS-68, which is uh, on the Delta IV, but the Delta IV is very expensive. So Vulcan is going to be the one rocket that ULA uses going forwards, and it's going to be using Blue Origin engines. Okay, so I didn't even know this. So, so you're telling me that so prior to um, so after the space shuttle and uh, before Elon Musk, ULA, which was really our primary means of getting into space, other than the Russian rockets, was actually still using a Russian <laughs> motor. The, the Atlas V has been using yeah, they're using the RD one eighty engine, which is frankly an amazing piece of kit, but it is yeah. uh, Russian hardware and. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, so, so, the, Blue the Origin and, yeah. so, so Blue Origin and, uh, and SpaceX really are the, 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 the recreation of the American rocket, at least from an engine perspective. Yeah, it's, it's actually fascinating that Aerojet rocket dyne are like have disappeared from this next generation of rocket. Like they built the RS-25 engines in the space shuttle, and those are obviously amazing engines. Mm -hmm. And now they're going to be on SLS and they're going to cost $150 million each. That's $600 million oh. just for those four engines. Yeah. And they were never designed to be discarded after every launch. They yeah. were supposed to be in the space shuttle. So yeah, Aerojet Rocket Dine, they make the RS-68 engine that's on the Delta IV. They were trying to make the AR-1, and that was the other option for Vulcan, but um, they never developed it as fast as Blue Origin. So Blue Origin are now powering... The, the Vulcan, they are doing the second stage engine, RL-10, which is you know the most efficient rocket engine that we have, but it's only an upper stage uh, engine. Wow. So yeah, that is pretty awesome. So so given so so you mentioned so ULA, do you think that they're going to be forced to go to reusability? I think I saw something from them recently on that, it's, but I, I mean I I think the way things are going, they might well, and they already have some uh, discussion about that. So there's something they want to do, or they've talked about doing called SMART, mm -hmm. which is an acronym, and I can't remember what it is, but the whole idea is instead of taking the entire booster and you know staging early and leaving propellant behind yep. and then landing the whole booster, this just you know burns out all the fuel, cuts off the engines, and then the engines parachute down. And in many ways, that gives you better performance in your first stage, but it also adds extra logistics because you need to have a helicopter catch right. this thing under a parachute and then fly it back and then clean it up and reintegrate it. Um, so, yeah, the uh, I just really it is a question of does that save them enough money? Yeah, it might it might make keep them competitive with SpaceX. But, you know, ULA have a very important sort of capability, and that is their second stages are able to insert things into orbits incredibly accurately compared to SpaceX by the looks of things. And you'll see, if you follow Tori Bruno, after every launch, they're laying out, well, this is how accurately we, we did this, and SpaceX aren't close to competing. Right. A big reason is, of course, that SpaceX are using these big, powerful Merlin engines in the second stage, so they have like 10 times as much thrust, which means if you've got one second accuracy, that's 10 times or the error, right? Just to put it in perspective. But I think ULA still will have customers going on forward for a while. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you will see more. And if you look at Rocket Lab, they're of course doing, uh, looking at reusability big time. Yep. We're gonna drop a rocket and catch it under a helicopter. Yep. Yeah, and I saw too that um, with, you know, with ULA, you know, a lot of folks too, because uh, the Air Force, about half of their contracts now, anyways, half of their contracts are roughly SpaceX, the other half are ULA. And, you know, now SpaceX is getting better and better and better, right? They have that whole 
agile style. You're a software you know, developer, so you understand agile. Yeah. So, as a matter of fact, um, I've talked to my cadets. I, we did a program on agile rocket development. Um, and so, so they, may they understand what I'm saying there. But uh, they have that iterative approach, you know? Get better, just get a little bit better every time. Get a little bit better every time. Don't be afraid of failing. Don't be afraid of failing. Just get, you know, you gotta be bad before you're good. And, um, you know, and just accept that it's part of the process. Now, ULA, um, they have just been pretty much rock solid for a really long time. So there's, yeah. so there's times where, you know, listen, your, your satellite is super expensive, like the James Webb, right? So James Webb, if that rocket were to blow up on launch, there's going to be some really sad people. <laughs> yeah, well, I got to say, James Webb is going to fly on a European launch vehicle. It's going to fly on an Ariane 5. Oh, oh so that's, that's Europe, Europe's contribution to the project. Because actually, I believe the Ariane 5 has more capability mm -hmm. than the US equivalent. It has a larger fairing. That's because, I didn't even uh, know that. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so if anybody has problems with their iPhone, we're going to call Scott. And if anybody has questions <laughs> on the space, uh, we're, we're going to make sure that we get some folks over to watch your videos. All right. So um, let's see. The other thing I had, uh, now it, it's 7.30. Do you got a few extra minutes? I don't want to take your time if you've got I, something I'm to cool. do. I'm yeah. cool. All right. Sweet. All right. So we, uh, so we now have Scott Manley after hours. So I should oh, have yeah. like... Oh, well, I need a beer now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so Tom Cruise. So it was just announced that Tom Cruise is going to the International Space Station to film a movie. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I know for a fact that they could do it all cheaper with CGI. But, <laughs> right. yeah, I, I, sure. Like, if somebody wants to do commercial stuff on the space station, I, I think absolutely they should be doing it. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to see what happens. I'm not the biggest Tom Cruise fan, but I yeah. do appreciate that he, he's very much about doing his own stunts. Yes. So I, I don't know what kind of movie I would write that would have one character that spends a lot of time on the space station on his own. But um, yeah, I would love to go and, you know, I'll be a script advisor, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? If uh, we can get the reusability going on, get these cheaper, these cheaper rockets going, then uh, maybe one day. You know, I still don't think, you and me are about the same age. And I still think, now actually, let me say this again. I'm actually six foot eight. So the chances of wow. them cramming me into an airplane sometimes is difficult, let alone cramming me into a spacecraft. Yeah, you would so. never work on the Soyuz, but you'd probably no. be, able to be fine on the Dragon. <laughs> if I, yeah, if they put me sideways across the back three or four seats and just laid me down <laughs> sideways, um, they, they, they would make me pay a lot more money for the amount of weight they would launch my, my butt up in the space. But I, I think people our age, I don't know. I think we still got a shot. We, we might be pretty I, old. Definitely, yeah. I think we still got a shot at it. Um, so, all right. So, so going, I want to talk about, so Elon Musk. So Elon Musk, we know that there is such a thing. So we all know about space time, right? And the, <laughs> the, the fabric of space time. So I have a saying when, uh, with my staff at work. I go, is that real time? When they, they, you know, they give me an estimate when something's going to get done. Is that real time or is that Elon time, right? So that, that runs in my mind. Like, you know, so is yeah. that really what you're telling me or is it going to be three times longer than what you're telling me? So, so do you, though, he, right now they're getting ready. They've been rapidly testing these metal grain silos out, out in Florida. Um, and they're getting closer in, and in closer. Texas, but yeah. In, in yeah. Texas, you're right, you're right. I'm sorry. Um, what, what was it? Boca Chica? Where is it? What's the name of it? Boca Chica. It's, Boca it's Chica. right down where Texas runs into Mexico. Okay. So in Boca Chica. So, um, and I tell you, I still see them and I still see grain silo. <laughs> but yeah. um, you, you, go to, you, go to, you go to NASA and you see these big buildings with clean rooms and all these scientists wearing clean suits and, you know, lights so they can see everything. And then you go down to Boca Chica, and it's a couple people wearing straw hats and welding the side of a frame. Um, but it's working. So, um, so, so when do you, do you think that the, when do you really think that Starship's really gonna do its thing? You, you think it's right? Well, I mean, you know, I, I think that we might very well see some very high altitude flights by the end of the year. Like they're so exciting. like Elon really wants to see it happening. I and mean, by high altitude, we're talking, you know, 20 kilometers or so. Sure. 
And that's the scary part because, of course, they're then going to test this skydive return mechanic where it sort of goes up and then flips on its side and yeah. falls down like that with the wings sort of flipping back and forth to adjust its aerodynamics. Yeah. So that, I think, is doable. I think Elon says that it could be next month, which I don't think is going to So that's happen, the Elon time, is next month. <laughs> right. Elon is, if everything goes right perfectly, this is how yeah. fast it could happen. And right. when I'm an engineer, when I'm looking at problems, I totally see this. It's like, if this works, this works, we can do this. This yep. time. But I never tell my manager that. That's right. It's that's always right. like four weeks <laughs> or whatever, right? You know, you, you, you set expectations. But Elon is quite happy to just say best case scenario. And sometimes things do happen fa as fast as he says, but very rarely. Because most of the time when you're starting a project, you cannot see every single problem that right. you have to solve. Yeah, because he's at a really high level. I mean, you know, people think of SpaceX and Tesla and they think Elon Musk. But it's the thousands of crazy, brilliant of engineers and people underneath him that are really making that all work. Right. Um, I mean, he interacts directly with all lots of the people all the way down, you know, I mean, which is he crazy will go to, to the person that uh, is perhaps most responsible for the, the delay or whatever and say, how can we help you make this faster or whatever? He, uh, he, What's the problem? He's, it's, he's very fast at making these decisions. And I totally understand because he comes from a sort of software background. Yep. And yeah, this whole thing in Boca Chica, if you look at how they did, how they're building Vulcan or if they're building New Glenn, mm -hmm. they pretty much have to design the, the rocket and then they have to design how they're going to build the rocket and then build the stuff to build the rocket. And then they build the rocket and then they start testing the rocket <laughs> and then they need to go back and fix all of this stuff. Yep. And meanwhile, you know, Starship just has things explode in incredible <laughs> pyrotechnics. Like, you know, SN1, I like to point out that it didn't just explode. It exploded, it imploded, and then it exploded again, right? <laughs> and when you're doing that, you're learning a lot, I guess. Yeah. I think, I think that, I think actually SpaceX is missing an opportunity. So I think that before every SpaceX test, that they should have ACDC, you know, maybe a mile away, a mile and a half away, right before the test, you know, start, yeah. you know, really rocking out some music. And, you know, and then, and then right before the big grand finale of their song, have them do the test <laughs> in the background so that it explodes brilliantly. <laughs> It'll just be the best music video in the history of mankind. Oh, man. <laughs> wow. 1812 overture, forget about that, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. I have a, if you've still got a few more minutes, I've got a couple of questions here for some cadets. Um, sure. All right. So let's see here. What is, so what's the biggest challenge the space industry faces today? Tech, human factors, politics. Oh, we have an, we have an election coming up. So I don't know if I want to get into politics here, but um, well, what do you think yes, the biggest challenge is? Um, I mean, look, I will say just in as neutral as possible, politics is very much a challenge because it's very hard to fund things on the timescales that work well for space. Every four right? eight years, and, you got somebody new coming. Right. I mean, your space shuttle started in the 1960s and got approved by Nixon. And then several other presidents had, you know, handled it. And then it finally launched with Reagan. You know, that's the kind of timescale and attention span you have to have. What is actually exciting about Artemis right now is we've seen that Italy and Japan have both spoken about contributing money. And once you have foreign oh, uh, you know, governments that are participating, it becomes much more politically viable for it to, to last over long periods. And that you saw that with the ISS. That, again, started in the 1980s as Space Station Freedom. And then when the 1990s came along, it turned out that it was actually in a really good position to help uh, to produce a collaboration with so, uh, you know, former Soviet states. Yeah. And that was a really important stabilizing influence politically at that time to make sure that you know, Soviet rocket scientists weren't <laughs> were disappearing off to build missiles for you know, <laughs> right. North Korea or something. Um, but yeah, I mean, so the biggest problem in space that's actually being tackled, I think, I guess uh, right now is how do you build a spacecraft that is cheap and fully reusable? And we've seen several attempts at the past and Starship is of course this crazy idea on how to do that. So 
that's a kind of if that that is solved, yep. then it's a sort of transformative moment in space technology if you can do it reliably. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's really that's one of the big things, I guess. Yeah. Now, do you think um, do you think that we now a lot of folks don't know is that with the International Space Station that the U.S. Congress actually passed a law. Because somebody asked me one time, how come we never see any Chinese astronauts in the International Space Station? Well, there's actually a law that was passed um, that precluded China. Uh, they, now, they had mentioned it because of uh, national security um, yeah. you know, reasons. But um, you know, so China now is looking to do their own thing. And they recently just um, launched their own little mini uh, space shuttle, right? It wasn't. It's people think we of a space shuttle. It's not it. the little. It, you know, it's like the X thirty seven size. You know, it's, it's like the X thirty seven. Well, we don't know. I am so fascinated to find out anything about it. They they literally were taking down videos that people had taken with their cell phone from a oh, city really? miles away, right? So we have like grainy pictures at best that shows that it has a fairing, and we can't figure out anything else. Yep. So yeah, so I mean, China's obviously doing its own thing, it has yeah. to. Uh, it does have you know, contacts and collaboration with countries. The US has collaboration, but like they're working with Germany and mm -hmm. Russia and things like that. But uh, US is precluded from working with them. They are yeah. planning to launch their own station. Uh, they've just launched their own Mars mission. They're, uh, mm -hmm. They've launched their own astronauts and they're developing a new, better um, passenger you know, spacecraft. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's an interesting space program to watch uh, because they're so it's so hard to figure out what they're doing a lot of the time. Yeah, and I really do believe that you know, hopefully, long term, right? Space is space is something that usually it seems like people start off competing with, with each other, right? And then eventually, at some point, you find a way to be friends, right? And it seems like space sometimes you know really helps that. Now, a lot of people don't realize it, but the International Space Station, there's there's only one international program that's bigger and that's the um the united nations and oh. and so in the iss and even before the iss right so um the 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 u.s Shuffle astronauts Mir, right yeah the mirror so so and, really uh, the Apollo soyuz yep so you know so the first rocket from russia you know in the u.s kind of started the space race it was really the u.s astronauts that went to the mirror and to my mind, that's really where we saw the end of that space, you know, race, right? Where now it's more towards collaboration. And we still have some of it, you know, uh, Commons, the, the, the in, the, in NASA, they kind of rub each other. I, I, it's always fun to see them make fun of each other. Um, you know, when they, they have their Soyuz, you know, which started working the same time as we had the Apollo program. Um, but it's been just rock solid. Um, that's correct, right? I see the face. It, um, yeah, no, no, Soyuz oh, it's, is still uh, like flying right? today. I mean, it's gone through a lot of iterations, but I mean, the thing is, the Soyuz rocket is pretty much based on the same rocket that launched Sputnik. Actually, <laughs> right. I have a 3D printed one here. Uh, see, I, it's very, very similar, right? Oh, yeah. The, this, this bit in the bottom yep. was the, the basic, the same rocket that launched Sputnik, and then they would just have Sputnik sitting on top, but then for Soyuz, they add an extra stage and another extra stage, and then yep. there's the Soyuz capsule inside here. But the best part about this is these four boosters, yep. which uh, you're back in when they were designing this rocket, they weren't sure they could light the engines in flight. So they came up with the idea of having all the engines light on the ground, and then these boosters peel away, you know, few, a couple of minutes into flight. And yep. The beautiful thing is, if you ever watch a Soyuz launch, is because oh, of the spiral. layer, they all tumble away yeah. and form this sort of cross shape in the sky, and they call it's it the awesome. Corollia Cross. And it does look really cool. What, what do they call it? The Corollia Cross. It's named for Sergei Korolev, that is the guy okay. who designed this, designed the, uh, basically pioneered the Soviet space program. Uh, he was the chief designer, and he, you know, basically was the driving force. He was an incredibly good manager, but also a good uh, rocket scientist. He was very good at motivating politicians to get him what he wanted and things mm -hmm. like that. Like yeah. there's, you know, the, the Vostok capsule uh -huh. that uh, Yuri Gagarin flew in. Uh, he, uh, he got a lot of the sort of funds to develop that because he also sold it as a spy satellite that you could put cameras uh, inside that. Okay. Yeah. And the cameras needed to be pressurized with air. 
And so the <laughs> so while you're sending them up anyway. actually flew into the 1990s as a, an Earth observation satellite, like the same design. They flew oh, that is cool. Off. That is cool. All right, we had uh, okay, two more questions here, and then um, and then I will thank you for your time. Um, let's see here. So, what do you think the future of space is in terms of commercialization and new technologies? I think that what's going to happen is the new technologies they get used for a while, and then they're innovative early on, right? They're rocket yeah. science, and then eventually they become commercial. Right, and right. It's, at this point, NASA doesn't need to be developing its own rockets. Right, they don't want to. Except they still have you know, they still have SLS. But um, yeah, I have opinions about that. You, but that's another hour. <laughs> so. Right, I mean the whole the whole thing is though that NASA has done this transformation in the last fifteen years. They started in two thousand five, the commercial office, and you know two thousand ten or eleven, they they launched the first parts of the uh, commercial program, and now. All the supplies to the space station are flown up on commercial rockets. Yep. Uh, the astronauts are going to be flying up in commercial rockets. This is a, a good way to operate. Uh, but there's things that you're only ever going to need one of, and right. you're going to need very specific skill sets, and very you're not going to have a commercial customer. Right. Those are going to be your space probes that go to planets, and they absolutely have to be uh, non-commercial. I don't think anybody's currently interested in paying doing commercial mission to say you know venus or whatever because uh, th there's no money in it but that's how that's how things could work it's been a it's been fantastic i think that the there's just been there's been this transformation the u.s has managed to make a big deal in this mm -hmm. uh, well it's nice it's nice to see that nasa can focus now on the longer missions again um, especially yeah. with all the incredible news about water and hydrocarbons, you know, in different planets and different moons, you know, it starts, it's like, okay, we've kind of got low earth orbit figured out until we don't. And there's a problem, but, um, yeah. you know, which unfortunately someday is going to happen probably, but you hope not, but you know, but, uh, but you know, it allows NASA to start thinking out. Um, let's see here. So, uh, somebody asked a question about Virgin Galactic. So, um, you know, Virgin Galactic had um, a, a good program in the beginning. They unfortunately, um, they had an accident uh, about maybe a decade or so ago, and they lost both of um, the pilots and that astronaut. Um, they, sorry, they lost one of the they had one of the pilots, but yes, yeah, one of the guy, one survived. Did one survive? Oh, I'm I pretty sure. I that, and that was like the day before uh, the Antares rocket exploded. Okay. But yeah, Virgin Galactic. So Virgin Galactic Central. Obviously, this. Yeah. If you guys, I don't know how old you are, but if you remember the uh, the Ansari X Prize, where the basically they wanted to give a big prize to the first people to be able to fly people to space and back mm -hmm. on consecutive days with uh, like a reusable with the same vehicle. And so the thing that won it was Spaceship One, and right. Richard Branson comes in and says, right, we want to take this and start doing it for everyone. And they literally opened a website where people could sign up right. and, and get in line. And the design that they used was this plane, which is rocket power, which goes into this vertical climb, yep. uh, hits space, and then it folds its wings up, so yep. it sort of falls belly first, so that it actually experiences lower or more deceleration in the high upper atmosphere, and then it falls back out. Anyway, it was a very cool design to win the X Prize, but now what's happened in the last 15 years is now we've seen the ability for rocket boosters to land on their tail. Right. Like, it just happened all the time. Uh, and, and I think that Virgin Galactic may be starting to miss their boat on this because yeah. they've taken so long to reach this. And they did have an unfortunate incident where the... Uh, the booms, the tail booms folded out at the wrong time. Yep. Having said that, I think that as um, if I were a pilot, I would sound way more yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like this is a plane. And the funny thing, I think it's the only plane I can think of that still has reversible controls and is supersonic. That's right. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, you're tugging on a wire and that's actuating these things. It's that's crazy to even think about. <laughs> right. And it's a spaceship as well. It will go yeah. up 100 kilometers and you can look out. And yeah, it's 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 you a get that tactile thing. feedback of flying a spaceship. That's just got to be incredible. And the one thing yeah. I will say I love about the Internet, 
So if I was in a classroom, I would have this question in my mind about, was it one pilot or two? But the internet is there. The internet the is like, there. It is absolutely yeah. one pilot. So I don't know why I was thinking both pilots, unfortunately. So what it was maybe, certainly not a good day for anyone, no, it was unfortunately. Not. Um, yeah. So last question I've got here is, um, what are your thoughts about Mars and getting a human to Mars, which would take about years and long-term, well, I don't know, it would take years, right? About six it, months? It takes years of development to get right. in there, for sure, right? But it's about six it's months. It's going to take political will. Yeah, oh, it takes yeah. less, not even that. You can get in there faster, but sure. It's going to be a two-year mission because you have to wait for Mars to get back in the position to return. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's coming down to political will, and that's why I see that going to the moon makes a lot of sense because mm -hmm. you're getting more experience going further out there, but eventually someone will say, oh, you know, we should really start going further afield. Yeah. And so Mars is, is a massive massive commitment you you're probably going to be doing it in a multi-stage mission where you send spacecraft ahead of time to land on the surface and make sure you've got a base supplies that's stocked up you're probably going to be sending a return vehicle which is going to land and then start refueling yeah. using the atmosphere turning the atmosphere into uh, rocket fuel and then when all that is working only then will you send a crew of astronauts right right yeah, yeah so you want to give them as, as much as some of us will think, hey, I'd go to Mars and I'll stay there. I, I don't really know. Like, <laughs> I, I, I think I'd want to come home. I think I would miss the grass. So Yeah, you know, I think you still want to have the return capabilities. But yeah. I, I don't see, I mean, if, you know, being realistic, if we decided towards the end of the decade that not Mars was absolutely worth doing uh, mm -hmm. and we had the political will, twenty, but just we could probably get there before 2040. And, well, I be pretty awesome. you know, think that, yeah, it would still be, an, it would be a transformative moment, yeah. right? And, uh, you know, I love the movie The Martian. Like, I love that <laughs> movie. Not necessarily for, all, all the, you know, the whole, the whole story is great, but I love the last moments of that movie mm -hmm. where you've got everyone on the rocket together and you're going, it's, everybody's got home and they're sending the next mission, right? Right. And they're playing like the get on the love train and you've got all <laughs> these people from around the world, you know, in their acceleration couches launching into space to go back to Mars. And, yeah. you know, that's the future I want. You know? And I do like the fact that a big part of, well, part of the Martian is that they sort of make this deal with China to get this big rocket and launch the supplies and then they put a Chinese astronaut on there. Um, <laughs> right. You know, like that, that's, that's a sort of good feeling. I, I sort of, as much as there's jokes in that movie about disco, I do love, you know, disco music. <laughs> well, listen, I think you, I think you and I, we, we may not have been born in the disco era, but we were so close to it that we had to listen to our parents play it enough that we, we grew an appreciation for it. So, <laughs> so well, um, I remember it. So, so, so Scott, I have no more questions I see from our cadets. Um, and so I wanted to really thank you um, for taking the time. I know that uh, our members were super excited to get a chance to, uh, to talk with you. So, um, you know, so I really appreciated all that and you taking the time. And uh, so, what's, so, what's, so what's next? So what's, uh, what's next for Scott Manley? Just doing what you're yeah. doing or...? I, you know, like I'm gonna keep pushing out the videos. Uh, I, you gotta keep pushing out the videos, and that's, uh, you know, that's fun because it makes you always try to think of new, uh, new stories. I'd like to do a thing on the new vacuum Raptor, but you're going looking further out. I've got like half a dozen books I want to write. <laughs> Forever, <laughs> like oh, maybe I'll start this one, and then it never gets anywhere. But yeah, it's uh, something I'd like to do, and I'm gonna say one of the things that I keep not having time for, which is absolutely irrelevant. I, something I really want to do is actually get a pilot's license. So right? when do you want to do it? Right, so I know, exactly. When? You know, I, the funny thing is, uh, let me tell you, yep. I keep putting it off because uh, I have this idea that between video games and Kerbal and talking about aerospace, that I've probably learned quite a bit about flying. So yep. I'd like to see how terrible I am <laughs> under realistic conditions. Your first landing's like this. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, and I actually had an opportunity to go down, go into NASA Ames into their 747 simulator, and then yeah. that failed because, like, the guy got busy, and I've never been oh, able to follow no. that. 
So, I, I, yeah, I, I just have to bite the bullet and go out and do the learning and make it happen. But COVID hit. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. So, so someday, um, one of my goals in the next uh, maybe year, two years, is Microsoft Flight Simulator. They have um, a bush flying. Um, bush planes. Bush yeah. planes. But they actually have a mission where you start off in one spot and you visit all these different locations and between Nevada, New Mexico, and California. And so one of the things I told myself, which would be really fun to do, is put a couple of GoPros in an airplane and go do that for real. Now, I'm in South Carolina, so in a small airplane, it's going to take me you know, a week Long just to get out of the air anyways. But if I ever do that, that'll put me out towards uh, your, your neck of the woods. And, uh, you know, hey, listen, if you want to go do, uh, you know, one of your videos while you're up at uh, 10,000 feet in the, the, the mountains, let me know. Maybe we can make that work. So hey, <laughs> we'll get no, you a landing yeah, on a grass strip. That sounds fun. I'm going to say, you know, like make doing heavy things in planes sounds fun. All right. Sounds good. Well, maybe we could do that. All right. Well, I have a lot of folks that are all really professing their thanks to you. Um, so in wrapping up, I just wanted to anybody who has not uh, followed Scott, um, just an incredible uh, amount of information. Like I said, I know some people use the term YouTuber, uh, but Scott is every bit an aerospace education um, teacher as anybody else that I know. Um, so thank you for all the work you do there. And uh, make sure if uh, this interests you and for some reason you were living under a rock and you didn't know who this guy Scott was and like, all right, Bob's talking to some guy named Scott. Why is everybody excited? Who cares? It's a guy named Scott. So uh, if you haven't, uh, go check out Scott Manley's YouTube. Um, I think you just broke over a million subscribers. So That was last uh, on my birthday. Uh, it lasted the end of the year. Holy cow. It was that, January 1st, technically, but yeah, it was. I was still celebrating my birthday. <laughs> so now were you just like, because again, this isn't something you do for a couple of weeks. This is years and years. I, I've and been doing years. this for 10 years oh. and just doing what people like. And, you know, it just that uh, people keep asking for more. So I keep giving them more. Yeah. And, and so, and so if anybody just, has questions, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Good questions are hard to come by. That's right. The best, some of the best videos have been questions that I got asked, and I was like, "Well, I've never thought about that. Now I need to answer it." Where, now, where now is the best place for if, if these folks if they hit you up on YouTube, right? They're watching your channels, and they have a what they think is a good question. Um, is, you, is the best thing to do is to leave a comment, leave that question in the that comments. Works, or, yeah, or you can also ask me on Twitter as well. What is your Twitter yeah. handle? I'm. Uh, at DJSNM. Uh, that's from my DJ career from DJ Scott Manley. Scott oh, Manley. okay. Yeah, so I also spin turn, you know, vinyl and turntables as a pastime. Oh, that's fun. So, so if you do get into one of the, the, the Crew Dragon launches, the, the whole, how they have all the, the screens, are we going to put like a Denon mixer in the back and you're going to be like <laughs> rocking out the music well, yeah, like on the, totally. whole, the whole launch? Yeah, I would totally love to do music for a rocket launch, let me tell you. <laughs> well, that is awesome. Um, let's see. I think that is it. And so uh, so for those of you that uh, haven't, uh, go out and you can be Scott Manley's one million and first uh, subscriber. <laughs> He's probably well over that now. Um, and, uh, you know, and on our side, Scott, I'm so excited. We've been doing this for six months. And, man, we are almost at 500 subscribers. Woo! <laughs> so yes, just keep going. Nice I, round numbers. That's right. That's right. Um, you know, I, I'm amazed when I go into a classroom and I got 30 or 40 or 50 kids who will even listen to me without falling asleep. So I was excited for the 500. But um, so anyway, so uh, on our side, yeah, if you're on our side, if you haven't already, uh, that whole YouTube algorithm thing, go to Scott. Make sure you like his stuff. Uh, comment. That helps Scott get more visibility. Not that Scott needs more visibility. I think YouTube knows who he is now. But on our side, go ahead and hit that uh, like on our side too, and that helps folks on our side. But um, Scott, I can't, I can't say enough. Thank you very much for uh, spending time with us tonight. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. I really appreciate you guys doing a great job and you know, educating and flying. And basically, love, I love the idea myself. All right. And I'm like I said, if we can here. talk. Uh, so there may be somebody from. All right. So now I'm going to get close to the microphone. All right. So national headquarters. So this, I don't, what do they call it, ASMR or whatever? You talk really light. So, <laughs> so 
if 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 you're if you're watching this and you're from national headquarters, um, Scott and I would like to do a joint video um, where we go and we cover a Falcon Heavy launch uh, from Cape Canaveral. I think that that would be an incredible opportunity for the Air Force to help educate the United States. What do you think, Scott? I think that's a good idea. I think that would be amazing. <laughs> All right, sounds great. All right, Scott, so thanks so much. And uh, hey, listen, National, if you're listening, let me know. I'll contact Scott. So, um, all right. Thanks, everybody. thanks, Scott, so much. And uh, I think with that, we are done. And uh, Scott, thanks so much. Hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. And fly safe. <laughs> fly safe. Especially for us. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much. Bye, Scott.